Well, today is my wife's 29th birthday for the 11th year in a row. So you can do the math, <laughs> okay? I have to do the math every year because she tells me she's 29. I'm like, yeah, but it's plus 10 and now it's plus 11. So happy birthday, babe. She has joined me in the 40 club and I'm excited about that, yeah. I'm not alone. <laughs> she's with me at 40 now. Well, years ago, a group of professionals posed the following question to a group of four to eight-year-olds. They asked them, what is love? Carl, a five-year-old boy said, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and they smell each other. That's love. Chrissy, a six-year-old girl said, love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. That's love, right? Danny, an eight-year-old boy said this, love is when mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him. Make sure the taste is okay. Not sure if that's love or you know, something else. Chris, seven-year-old boy said this, love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he is handsomer than Thor. That's, that's love for sure. Karen, age seven, little girl said, when you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. That girl's been watching a lot of Disney. Mark, a six-year-old boy said, love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. Amen to that, right? Our, our culture today is preaching through every medium possible that love is total and complete affirmation and approval of what someone does in all of their life choices. And every parent in the room is going, what? No, that's not what love is. I love my child so much I would die for them, but I definitely don't approve of all of their decisions. I don't affirm all of their thinking and all the things they wanna do. No, that's not what love is. Every parent knows that love does not equate affirmation and approval. Every parent knows that. And so does our heavenly father who loves us and has proved his love for us yet does not approve of and affirm everything that we do. Yet our culture is preaching this through every medium possible. It's preaching through social media and TV and all kinds of things to our kids that this is what love is. But none of the things that I've mentioned so far are biblical love. They're not gospel love for sure. Today, Jesus is going to speak to us about love and he's going to use the Greek word agape, which means love even of the unlovely. It's love which is not drawn out by merit. It's an unconditional kind of love, a love that's not based on performance. That's the kind of love that Jesus is going to talk to us about today. We're in the middle of a series where we are walking verse by verse through the gospel of Luke. We, we study the scripture here verse by verse. A uh, little over a year and a half ago, we made this decision to switch and begin to preach the Bible through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. We started with the book of Daniel. We, we then looked at Colossians. Now we're in the middle of the gospel of Luke. And we just believe studying the Bible, the scripture verse by verse, forms, develops a deeper faith, a deeper trust in the Lord, a deeper love, a deeper commitment to the mission of Jesus. Preaching through the gospel of Luke, verse by verse, our heart has been, our prayer has been to be drawn up to Jesus, not to the left or to the right. That's what the culture's trying to do to us with every waking moment. But as we study the life and teachings and preachings and death and resurrection of Jesus, we'll be drawn up to 
Jesus. You see, we're not just studying the gospel of Luke in here. We're studying the gospel of Luke in our city groups. This week they'll meet and they'll talk about these same verses and pray about them and talk about how to apply them to their lives in our small group Bible studies. If you're not in one of those groups, I challenge you to get in one as soon as possible. That's what it even means to be a member of our church. It's to be in a city group, a small group Bible study where you're getting to know other people and they're getting to know you and you're doing life together and you're studying the scripture together. We're gonna to study the gospel of Luke. These verses we're about to read this week in our daily devotionals on our app. You pull up our app and click Bible study. We'll have daily devotionals there Monday through Friday that will break down these exact, these exact same verses. We're gonna study the gospel of Luke. We're gonna challenge you to study the gospel of Luke as a family this week with the table talk that we provide once again on our app under the Bible study tab. You see your kids right now, little kids, youth kids right now are studying these same verses. And with the table talk, we provide questions for you as a family to ask your kids and to pray through these verses together as a family around a lunch table or a dinner table. Those are already available on our app. So if you go to lunch today after church, you can talk with your kids about these things and know what they learned and use the table talk maybe to help spur on that conversation. You see, what I'm hoping you're seeing here as you're a part of our church, if you're new here, what I hope you'll see very soon is that we are not satisfied with the normal, casual American Christianity. We're not satisfied with normal, casual Christian church going. We're not here to sing songs and hear a message and leave having just kind of put in our time for God. We're not here to entertain you. We're not here to even necessarily inspire you. We're here to meet with God. We're here to worship God. We're here to hear from God. We're here to study his word, to hear from him because we are hungry and thirsty for God. You see, we're about forming dangerous, passionate disciples of Jesus that love Jesus more than money, sports, and even other people. So we preach hard here. We're gonna call you to repent from idolatry, from apathy, our services, worship, messages, everything, they're, they're a little bit longer because we're not concerned about getting to something else. We're here to meet with God. This is the most important thing to us. This is just who we are. And we're doing this because we also believe that we need biblically literate, spirit-filled, faith-filled, passionate disciples of Jesus for the age we find ourselves in, even more so for the age that is to come. Last week when Brandon preached and did a phenomenal job, he, he talked about the normal Christian experience in the first and second century and really for all of church history and that our experience here for the last couple hundred years in America has really been a blip on the radar of church history. And today you're gonna even see more of Jesus's prophesying that his followers are going to suffer and they're going to be treated wrongly and poorly. And I believe this is a word for us, even in our own country, as maybe we're not being persecuted yet, but we're finding more and more a culture that is rejecting us, what we think and what we believe. It's growing colder and colder the Christian values and the Christian doctrine. And so how, do, how are we to act? How are we to respond in this kind of culture, in the age that we find ourselves, and even more so in the age to come? We need biblically literate, spirit-filled, faith-filled disciples of Jesus that know the full counsel of God's word. There's all kinds of 
crazy authors and pastors out there today in the Christian Nationalist Party movements, the prosperity gospel movements, the progressive Christian movements that are just leading people astray. And they're leading people astray because people don't know the full counsel of the word of God. That's why we study the scripture verse by verse here, because I'm sick and tired of seeing Christians led astray by every new wind and new teaching and by things that are entertaining and things that seem inspiring. No, we're, we're going all in on the word of God and becoming disciples of Jesus. So turn with me to Luke chapter six. We're in verse 27. We're gonna to go to verse 36. Today, open our app, click message notes. All the verses and the points or quotes are there. You can even fill in the blank as we go. It's a great way to stay engaged. We're gonna to continue to see Jesus preaching what genuine faith and love for God looks like. We're gonna see Jesus explaining what upside down love looks like as he continues to explain the upside down principles of the kingdom of God. And so as we do, would you stand as we read God's word together and Caleb Howe is gonna come and read for us. Caleb and his wife adopted another child this week, bringing their grand total to five. And so they've got quite the Brady Bunch on their hands. So you can, you can pray for them. So Caleb. Uh, good morning, church. My name's Caleb Howe. Um, my wife, Haley. How and our kids, uh, we've been going to the city church since it started. I serve some in the media team. Uh, my wife, Haley, serves in children's ministry. Um, and our kids are wild and crazy. And it's fun. So let's start uh, reading our passage this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you live mo lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the most high for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Thank you, Caleb, you can be seated. I love how Jesus starts this for those who are willing to listen. Why? Because this is hard, right? If you were just paying attention, this is hard. This is difficult, not, not just to hear, but to actually live it out. This is real biblical gospel unconditional love. And that's hard. That's why Jesus says, for those who are willing to listen, but for those who are willing to listen, I hope you saw there's a reward. And so we want to talk about this. We want to break this down because every one of us have got a crazy Carl in our family. That's hard to love, right? How many of you got a crazy Carl in your family? Okay. It's a lot of us do. If you're not raising your hand and you're like, who, what Carl? Like, I don't know of a crazy Carl. Hi, Carl. All right, let's talk about this. Verse 27, Jesus says this, but if you're willing to listen to those who are willing to listen, love your enemies, 
Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Not pray that they die a slow, painful death, okay? We're going to pray for God's mercy and God's compassion on their life. Not for the thriving of evil, but for God's compassion in their life to turn and to change and to transform their heart just like he's done to us. Jesus says, love, love your enemies. So, so already, I hope you can tell, this is a different kind of love. This is a different kind of love than the love those kids explained to us right in the very beginning. This is a different kind of love and then our culture is preaching and teaching to us on a daily basis through every medium possible. This is a different kind of love. Love my enemies. Love those that aren't lovely, that love those that are unlovable, love those that don't deserve it. What Jesus is saying here is that we are to not retaliate. We don't retaliate to our enemies. We don't respond with the way that we feel. We do not react to men or women. We respond to God. We don't react to men or women. We respond to God. We submit ourselves to God, to his sovereignty, knowing and believing that God is in control of all things, that vengeance is his, says the Lord. It's not for us to repay. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. You see, the ability to bless our enemies depends on a confident trust in God's care and God's sovereign direction over the events of life. The ability to love our enemies comes from a confident trust that God is just and that his vengeance, his wrath will ultimately be poured out on all of evil when he puts an end to it all, evil and suffering one day. So ultimately, here's where real love is rooted here in verse 27 and 28. Real love to start out with, number one, is rooted in the sovereignty of God. If you're going to love in a gospel-centered, sacrificial, unconditional kind of way, that love that Jesus is taught, this agape love, this is real love. This is what reality is. This is what love really is. Not what our culture preaches to us. Not a feeling that comes and goes. This is real love. It's rooted in the sovereignty of God. We're trusting in God as we love and bless and do good to and serve even our enemies. That kind of love is rooted in the sovereignty of of God. Let's keep going. Verse 29. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Now I promise we didn't plan this because of Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. Okay. This was just the sovereignty of God, right? This was the next verses that we had to read and to study. I promise we didn't plan this, but Jesus says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek also. Now, contrary to popular belief, this isn't talking about necessarily talking about just total and complete passivity. That's not, what, that's not what it's talking about here. Years ago, when my wife and I first got married, we moved into a duplex that was right behind a bar. It was kind of a dangerous spot. We had a lot of visitors. And so I slept with a loaded shotgun next to our bed, okay? We didn't have kids in the house. It literally was loaded and just leaning up against the wall, okay? That might tell you a little bit of something about how many visitors we had, okay? So one night in the middle of the night, the window above my bed shatters. I grab the shotgun, 
I cock it. I'm aiming it out the window. Say, come on in, right? Come on in. I'm going to shoot you if you do. You know, I'm saying all kinds of stuff. You know, don't you come in this house. I'm going to I promise. You know, I, I'm saying all kinds of things. I'm not going to tell you everything I said, but I said some things to warn this person not to come into the house. Okay. So, so I'm there all big and bad. I'm not saying, Hey, come on in, you know, beat me up, beat my wife up, take whatever you want be well, you know, right? I'm not saying that. I'm not doing that. Okay. Someone's breaking into my house. I'm trying to stop them from coming into the house. Now, a few minutes later, come to find out a fan blade from my fan had come loose from the fan and like a rocket shot off the fan and shattered the window. Okay. So no one was trying to break into my house, but I was ready. Okay. I was, I was ready for, him. but this isn't what Jesus is talking about here. Just complete and utter passivity at least not here. That's not what he's saying. No, see, you got to understand the background here. And we get a picture of this a little bit more in the gospel of John, where Jesus says to his disciples, you're going to be thrown out of the synagogue. If you follow me, they're going to throw you out of the synagogue that you're going to suffer. If you're obedient, if you're faithful to me. Now, this is completely contrary to what people in our culture in American Christianity have begun to believe and expect from God. That if I'm faithful to God, if I'm faithful to Jesus, that everything's gonna go well for me, I'm gonna be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Jesus would say, no, that is not the case at all. In fact, if you're faithful to me, Brandon talked about this last week, if you're faithful to me, you're going to suffer. What we've experienced over the last 200 years in our country is a blip on the radar for the normal Christian experience throughout all of church history. And I don't believe it's going to stay the same here. Jesus is saying to his fathers, if you're faithful to me, if you're obedient to me, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're going to be thrown out of the synagogue. You're going to suffer to be thrown out of the synagogue, to be kicked out of the synagogue was to be ostracized from all of society and culture in their day. So Jesus is saying, if you follow me, you're going to suffer. The culture is going to turn on you. The culture is going to reject you. And when you were thrown out of the synagogue, the last thing they would do on your way out before you left the last outer gate is they would slap you across the face. It was a sign of disrespect. It was a sign of shame. It was a sign of being ostracized from culture, from society. So this isn't some just kind of figment of Jesus's imagination. No, Jesus is talking about a specific thing that is going to happen to his followers. He's, going, he's talking about how they're going to be persecuted. And one of the ways they're going to be persecuted and suffer for the name of Jesus is that the culture is going to reject them, is going to ostracize them. And how you respond when culture rejects you and when the culture, when society ostracizes you because of your radical, faithful obedience to Jesus. Jesus is saying, they're gonna slap you on the cheek as they kick you out of the synagogue and as you're ostracized from society. We see this when Jesus was arrested. Jesus is arrested. He's brought before the high priest. The high priest is talking with him. Jesus is talking back with the high priest. And before they're done with Jesus, the servant of the high priest slaps Jesus before he leaves. It's a sign of shame and disrespect of culture society turning their back on you. When Jesus says, if they take your cloak, offer your shirt also, he's talking about something specific here. He's not just talking about giving away everything that you have so that you're left with nothing and naked. 
Now he's literally talking about the way his followers would be persecuted, that their cloaks that doubled as a blanket and kept them warm would be taken from them. They didn't have a closet of clothes. They had what they were wearing and they had a cloak that they would wear over to keep them warm. And so all of this is happening and it's going to happen to Christians, to followers of Jesus in the first and second century. And so Jesus, like we saw last week, is prophesying that you are going to suffer for my name. And how are we to respond? How are we to react when we suffer for the name of Jesus, when we're treated like this, when we're mistreated for being followers of Jesus, how are we to react? Jesus is saying, you will not retaliate. You will do good to those who persecute you. You will bless them, you will love them, you will serve them. We're going to see here in just a little bit, you're gonna give to them. That this is how Christians, children of God are to act. In the first century, the days of the early church, who was oppressing the Christians? Who was persecuting Christians? It was the Romans, right? It was the Roman government. In first and second century, in the early church, who were the predominant people that were coming to faith in Christ? It was the Romans. So, the Romans are persecuting the early church and the church is responding in such a way as their enemies are noticing something different about them and beginning to listen to the gospel that they preach. What's going on here? Well, in the second century, about 150 AD, there was a disciple who was believed to be a disciple of one of the apostles that wrote a letter to a man named Diognetus who had a lot of questions about Christianity, who didn't understand Christians, who didn't understand why when these Christians were persecuted and suffering because of their faith at the hands of the Romans, why then were they loving and blessing their enemies in return? Why were they not retaliating? And so he's got all these questions about Christianity. It's considered to be one of the first like apologetics letters that was ever written to someone who had questions defending the faith. It's a very long letter, but I just want to show you an excerpt from it. This is called the epistle to Diognetus. And here's what he said to this man who had all these questions about these first Christians. He said this, they love all men and are persecuted by all men. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and yet restored to life. They are poor, yet they make many other people rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all things. They are dishonored and yet in their very dishonor, they are glorified. They are evil spoken of and yet are justified. They are reviled and they bless. They are insulted and they repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. And when punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. Those that hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. Why? Because these first and second century followers of Jesus were blessing those who persecute them. 
They were doing good to their enemy. They were blessing them and praying for them and doing good for them and serving them and giving to them all in the name of Jesus. You see, here's what the early church recognized. They had no human enemies. They weren't vilifying their enemies as enemies. Quite contrary to the culture and to the dialogue we find ourselves in in our country today, right? What, what do we see in our culture in our day? If you ascribe to one ideology, you vilify those who ascribe to another ideology, right? That's just normal in our society today. It's normal even for Christians today. And what I hope you're hearing Jesus saying today is that is wildly inappropriate for a child of God to act in that way. That children of God do not vilify their enemies. They preach, they pray, they bless, they serve, they give. That's how we treat our enemies. That's how we treat people who think differently and believe differently than us. You need to be very careful of going all in on any ideology that you find preached in our country. On any political movement. Because what it's always going to take, if you give your heart and soul to that ideology or to that political movement or to that political party, it's going to take vilifying the other one. You see, our entire economy and political environment is based on your rage and anger right now. But this is not the way for the people of God. It's just not. And so this passage is a strong rebuke, even to Christians in our culture today that vilify people who ascribe to other ideologies as the enemy and then vilify them. Jesus is saying that's, that's not the way of God. You see, here's the second thing you've got to understand about real love. Real love is rooted in the mission of God. As followers of Jesus, we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors of Christ, preaching the good news of the gospel, knowing and understanding that every person that doesn't follow Jesus or doesn't live or believe like I do needs the grace and mercy of God, just like I needed the grace and mercy and patience of God, the compassion of God. Real love is rooted in the mission of God. The early church recognized this, they understood this. And so they did not vilify the Romans who persecuted them and hated them. They loved them anyways. Let's keep going, verse 30. Jesus says, give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Jesus is saying, not only are we not going to retaliate, not only are we not, not only are we going to love and serve and bless and pray for Jesus is saying as disciples of Jesus, we are going to be marked by radical generosity and kindness and blessing in spite of the way that we're treated. This is an unconditional love that mirrors the unconditional love that God has had for his enemies like you and me. And so third, I want you to see that real love is rooted in the provision of God. I'm trusting 
that God is going to provide for all of my needs according to his riches and glory and that all that I have belongs to him. I'm just a steward of it. I'm just a steward of the things and the money and the stuff that God has given me. And the best way to steward the things and the money that stuff, that, that God, and stuff that God has given me is to use it for the glory of God, for the advancement of the gospel. And so Jesus says, if someone needs something from you, you give it and you don't expect anything in return, trusting that God is going to provide all I need, all that I have, I lay at the feet of God to use as he so chooses for his own glory and for the sake of the lost around the world. Verse 32, Jesus says, if you only love those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to only those who do good to you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. No, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. This is an upside down kind of love. Our culture preaches and teaches that love is a contract and that it's conditioned upon your performance, upon your merits. But God loves covenantally and unconditionally. This is a love that means loving even the unlovely. This is a love which is not drawn out by merit. This is a love that loves even the undeserving, those who do not deserve it. This isn't a feeling that comes and goes like love in middle school or high school dating, right? You hang up. No, I'm not hanging up. You hang up. No, I'm not hanging up. What, what is it like now? I love you. Click. Are you there? <laughs> uh, where, where'd you go? You know? No, this isn't a feeling that comes and goes. This isn't some illusion of perfection that produces some sort of feeling. No, this is the realization for grace-based love, which is true in every marriage. It's true in every home with kids. It's true in every workplace, on every team, in every class. This is an upside down kind of love. It's not based on feeling, but it's a response to the grace and mercy of God to us. R.C. Sproul, wrote in his commentary on Luke about these verses, here's what he said. In our culture, we think of love in passive terms. Love is something over which we have no control. It, it, it's something that happens to us spontaneously. Zing go the strings of our hearts. In the New Testament categories, however, love is not something primarily that happens to us. Love rather is a duty, a requirement. Love has more to do with activity than it has to do with feeling. What Jesus is saying simply is this, be loving to your enemies. We may not be able to control how we feel about them, but we certainly can control what we do about those feelings. And so if you're wondering, well, then what's in it for me? If I'm going to love in this unconditional way and I'm not expecting any repayment, I'm going to have mercy with people, not even expecting for them to have mercy. I'm going to love people. I'm going to bless people. I'm going to pray for people without the expectation, without the strings attached that they're going to do the same for me. Then what's in it for me? Well, I'm glad you asked because Jesus says there's a great reward from heaven 
for, for Christians, for followers of Jesus who live with this radical, unconditional, self-sacrificing kind of love. They will live in freedom. They will live with peace. They'll be good ambassadors for Jesus. They'll have healthy relationships with the people they do like and love. There's a great reward. It's a spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. I mean, imagine what your marriage would look like if you loved your husband or if you loved your wife with this unconditional, without merit, self-sacrificing, with no strings attached kind of love. What if two people who love and follow Jesus loved each other in this kind of way? Imagine the blessing that marriage would be to both of those people. If a husband could really love his wife like Christ loved the church, unconditionally, not conditioned upon a performance. If a wife could honor and respect her husband unconditionally, as the scripture says, not conditioned upon performance or merit. Imagine the freedom, the blessing, the joy that would come from a marriage like that. From friendships like that. From work relationships like that. From teammates like that. If we could love in this kind of way without merit or expectation of even return. Jesus says there is a reward coming. Not just in this life, but in the next life. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Store up treasure in heaven. When you love in this way, there's a reward coming from, you're storing up treasure in heaven. And so forth, what I want you to see in, these, in this passage is that real love is rooted in the reward of God. I love and I bless and I pray and I do good even to my enemies or to the people I do really like, like my spouse or my kids or my teammates or my coworkers, not expecting anything in return because I'm believing the Lord is going to reward me. You see, real love is rooted in the reward of God. There's no strings attached to my love. There's no conditions upon repayment or merit. No real love, biblical Gospel-centered love that Jesus is talking about here is rooted in the reward of God. Jesus keeps going. You're gonna get a great reward in heaven and, or from heaven, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. God is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. Jesus doesn't say, this isn't some works-based religion here, where if you love in this way, you will become children of God. Jesus says, no, when you love in this way, you're acting as children of God by imitating God's care and compassion, even for those who are evil. Jesus says, this is the way that children of the Father act. This is what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Jesus. We love in this way. You see, to be his child to be a child of God, to be a follower of Jesus is the very beginning of a process of reflecting God's gracious, merciful, and forgiving character to a watching world. And as we do so, we never look more like Jesus 
than when we love in this way. Why? Because God loved you so much. He sent his one and only son to die in your place for your, for your sin while you were his enemy. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved his enemies and he sent his son Jesus to die for his enemies. And so when we love with this unconditional love, when we bless and pray for and do good to those in spite of the way they act towards us, we're looking like our father in heaven. We're looking like Jesus more so than we ever could doing anything else. Jesus says we love like this because God is kind to his enemies. He's kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. This isn't some Clint Eastwood, cross me and I'll pound you or I'll kill you. No, this is Jesus telling Peter to put away your sword. It's Jesus saying to you, maybe put away your phone. It's Jesus saying, they don't take my life. I freely lay it down. I'm freeing, freely laying my life down for those who would take his cloak, for those who would slap his face, for those who would spit on him, beat him, mock him, crucify him. And then he would say this, Father, forgive them. Because that's who he was laying his life down for. That's the only kind of people there are. People just like you and me that have mocked him, that have spit on him, that because of our sin have beat him. It's because of our sin that put him on that cross. He did that for his enemies and he said, Father, forgive them. This is the gospel. God has been kind to the unthankful and wicked. Who is that? It's you. It's me. That's who God has been kind to. Unthankful, wicked people like you and me. God has been compassionate. He has been patient with you and with me. And so last, here's what I want you to see about real love. Real love is rooted in the gospel of God. Real love is rooted in the gospel of God. This is our why and this is our how. John said it like this, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. This kind of love isn't possible without a supernatural, gospel-driven, Holy Spirit-empowered work in your heart first. You might say, well, I could love better if they would just change, if they would just treat me in a different way. No, God says, because he loved us first, we will love others. That this real love can only be experienced by a supernatural gospel-driven, Holy Spirit-empowered work of God in your heart first. 
See, that's what this passage is teaching us, that the ability to love my enemies is found in remembering the greatest act of love was God loving me, an enemy. So here's our big idea today. I love my enemies because God loved an enemy like me. I can love my enemies because God loved an enemy like me and because his spirit lives in me as a follower of Jesus. I love like he does, like father, like son, like father, like daughter. Jesus said, when you love like this, you're showing yourselves, you're revealing yourselves to be children of your father in heaven. You see, most love starts out as feelings, but for the Christian, it transforms into this gospel-centered, self-sacrificing, unconditional, in spite of performance kind of love. A love in spite of the person being unlovely. This is what the scripture calls our marriages to be like. This is what the scripture is calling our parenting to look like. This is what the scripture is calling our neighboring and, and the way that we're going to be a good teammate and a good classmate and a good coworker. This is what the scripture is calling us to, is to love like this, to do good, to bless, to pray for, and yes, even give to our enemies. And as I say that, I know how crazy that sounds. And so that's why we've got to pray. We need God to do a supernatural, gospel-driven, Holy Spirit-empowered work in our hearts that we might love like this. Not because other people deserve it, but because they don't. And that's how God has loved us. Would you pray with me? And just right where you're at between you and God, would you just take this moment and just ask God, God, where are you working and speaking in, in my life? And, and maybe more specifically with who? Like who do you need the Holy Spirit of God to change your heart towards? Who do you need the Holy Spirit of God to help you love and bless and pray for and do good to this week? And just pray and ask God for the help, for the strength to love in the same way that he has loved you. Or maybe you're here today and maybe you've understood that you were an enemy of God in your sin. And that because of your sin, there's a fine. You've broken God's law, there's a fine to be paid. that find is eternity separated from God in a place called hell. God loves you so much and he proved his love for you, his enemy by sending his son Jesus to die for you on that cross, to pay the fine for your sin so that you could be right with God, so that you could know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. And maybe today the love of God is just breaking your hard heart. That rejection that unthankfulness that you've had. And maybe today in this moment, you would give your life to Jesus. You would respond to the love of God by giving your life to Jesus. And if that's you, jump on our app, fill out our connect form on our app and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today.
God, every last one of us needs you right now in this moment. We need your Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and and do something in us, God, that we can't do for ourselves. God, you said in the new covenant, you would give us hearts of flesh that are sensitive to you. You would give us hearts that have your word written on our hearts. And so God, I'm just trusting and believing that right now, God, as your word has been spoken, God, that it's moving in our hearts because you said you would write our word, your word on our hearts. And you're giving us a desire for these things and you're transforming us, God, even in this moment. And so God, we pray that you would do just that. As you promised, move us to keep all your righteous decrees. Move us, transform us that we might look more like your son, Jesus, who cried out, Father, forgive them. Even as he was being beaten, whipped and crucified. So God, today I pray that if we find ourselves in a broken marriage, in a broken friendship, we would look to the cross. And we would love because you first loved us. It's in your name we pray.